0: of all time in professional basketball, yet he experienced multiple failures. As a sophomore in high school, you may know this, but as a sophomore in high school, he did not even make the varsity team. In his mind, it was the ultimate defeat, the ultimate failure. And he said, I went to my room and I closed the door and I cried. For a while, I couldn't stop. Even though there was no one else at home at the time, I kept the door shut. It was important that no one would see me or hear me. He was heartbroken, and he was ready to give up the sport altogether until his mother convinced him otherwise. After Jordan picked himself up off the floor, he did what champions do. He played for the JV team, which he had made. He worked hard, and he allowed his failure and disappointment to drive him to do better, to be better. Many years later, in an interview, he said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted with the final shot to win the game and missed. I have failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. Writer and speaker John Maxwell refers to Jordan's mindset as turning our failures and mistakes into, quote, stepping stones for success. In today's passage from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells a parable about a farmer who sows seed and experiences failure in 75% of what he has sown. This parable also appears in the Gospels of Mark and Luke for your own study. I want to suggest today that Jesus in this parable is teaching his disciples and us that what God has begun in his ministry despite apparent failure, will have ultimate success. This points to our big idea, our thought for today, that evangelism, evangelism is the sharing of God's word, the gospel. Evangelism is the sharing of the good news of Jesus. The parable of the sower reminds us that you and I are responsible for sowing good seed, but God is the one makes it grow we do our part but God does his I heard an interview with uh, Tim Keller's biographer Tim Keller recently passed away the pastor of Redeemer Church in Manhattan and once uh, Keller was quoted as saying my wife and I when we planted Redeemer we brought the wood and God created the fire I like to think of it that way, that God is the one who makes it grow. We bring the kindling, and God is the one who brings the fire. Our context today in Matthew's Gospel takes us to a city called Capernaum, which was a significant town, uh, city, bustling economic area in the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee. The town was strategically positioned along important trade routes, making it a thriving center for commerce and cultural exchange. It had a very diverse population, composed of Jews, Greeks, Romans, and other ethnicities. This environment made it the perfect place for Jesus to uh, house or to have his headquarters, if you will, his home base, his hub for all of his ministry. One day, Jesus was at the house. The house was a place where he and his disciples would meet. Uh, others had allowed him uh, to use it, to have it as their central hub. And then he, the, the Gospel of Matthew uh, says that that same day, Jesus went down to the seashore and began to teach. New Testament scholar A.T. Robertson calls, and many other scholars, called this day the busy day for Jesus because of all the activity, the stress, and the strain that he'd experienced. Before this part in Matthew's Gospel, it'll be Matthew 13, in just a few moments we'll read it. But Jesus, before that, Jesus had healed many. And then he had faced much opposition from the Pharisees, including being accused of blasphemy. And then his mother and family wanted to spend some time with him. And then, of course, he goes to teach the crowds and the disciples. So it was a very busy day. But before the end of the day came, he made sure that he went down to the seashore to do some teaching. And he did so in parables, parables, parables as you know, are stories that Jesus would tell alongside in his ministry to illustrate spiritual truth. The word parable comes from the Greek root parabole, which means literally to place alongside of for measurement or comparison. It's kind of like the other day. Our daughter Isabella wanted me to help her visualize the size of a rug runner for her college apartment where she'll be moving in next month at James Madison University. And I thought, oh, we have a yoga mat. So I got the yoga mat out of the closet and unrolled it and it's just about the same size as the runner. And so we rolled it and we were able she was able to visualize what it might look in the foyer of her apartment. Parables do that. They allow us to make a comparison or help us to visualize what Jesus is saying, and then help to connect it with spiritual truth. Sometimes they're very difficult to understand, and the disciples needed help. And in this case, Jesus actually explained the parable to them. So he went down to the seashore and he sat down. But there were so many people that he borrowed a fishing boat and went out into the boat and sat down and began to teach them. There are so many people, you can imagine it might have been like a bunch of Swifties trying to get an autograph from Taylor Swift after one of her concerts. But Jesus didn't try to leave or get away from the crowd. Rather, he improvised so that everyone would hear. And he knew that that his voice would be... Amplified because of not only the breeze coming off of the water toward the shore, but also the water helping it to do that. And all of those people were able to hear what he said. Now let's listen to how Matthew reports it in chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. By the way, um, Anna, do we have that picture of the sketch that we could show Mary Parsons, one of our members, is an artist, as you know. And she, from time to time, sketches uh, pictures from Scripture. And she, before I went on vacation, she happened to give me this one. And it shows you the bird in the parable that we'll be reading. And if you're interested in seeing it close up, it's down here on the communion table. And uh, you can see the detail um, by which Mary has artistically rendered this particular portion of the parable. Now, Anna, thanks, and now we can read together. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got in the boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But then the sun came up, and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is one of at least two parables where Jesus provides an interpretation or an explanation to his listeners Many would agree that the seed refers to God's word, which is sown, and that the four types of soil are the condition of the hearts of the people who hear it. As I studied this passage in preparation for today, I felt led to the interpretation that points to overcoming failure and our commitment in spite of failure to the mission of Jesus we might wonder, why is Jesus talking about sowing seed down there at the edge of the seashore to all of these people? Why at that particular time and place? Why would he give that message to his disciples? What was important at that point in time for them to hear? To understand that a little better, we go over to John's gospel in the sixth chapter, and it sheds some light on the situation. John chapter 6 is about the same time as what is recorded in Matthew 13, where Jesus is in Galilee down at the seashore. In John's gospel, so we go there to help with a little back story. We see that he fed the 5,000 with two loaves and fishes. He walked on the water to calm the fears of the disciples. He declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he said, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Then many of the Jewish religious leaders became much more hostile Toward Jesus, saying, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can we now say, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? And Jesus said to them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. And he began to remind them of his purpose and how the prophets foretold of him. And he read of the Old Testament prophets to put it back on them. And then they began, the religious leaders did, sharply arguing among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Where he's saying, I'm the bread. And then Jesus continued, this is the bread that came from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feasts on this bread will live forever. After this, many of Jesus' own disciples heard all of this going back and forth. And John, in his gospel, reports that on hearing of it, many of Jesus' own disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then in John 6, chapter 6, verse 66, he says to us, John does, From this time, many of Jesus' own disciples turned back and no longer followed him. At this point, Jesus looks at the twelve and says, you don't want to leave too. All the other, these other disciples deserted Jesus. He looks at the twelve and says, what about you? Are you going to leave too? So as Jesus is sitting in the boat in rabbinic style, teaching the crowds and the disciples, all of this is in mind. He's facing increased opposition from the outside and from many of those who had become his own disciples. They had deserted him. Perhaps he is teaching this parable, pointing toward overcoming failure to give clarity to his purpose, even in... Even, uh, with the reality that 75% of the work might be rejected or ignored. Let's unpack this just a little bit, and then we'll seek to make some application related to the ministries of outreach here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. And evangelism is part of our outreach ministry, our outreach pillar in our church's vision. I believe that in this parable Jesus is helping us to see that failure is part of growth. We're never going to get it all right. We've got to do our part and trust that God will do his. Sowing the seed trusting that God will make it grow. Failure is part of growth. The farmer scattered seed and birds pecked part of it up. He sowed seed on rocky soil. The uh, this kind of soil had a thin layer of maybe of topsoil, but below that was hard li- limestone. And once the roots penetrated through the soil and hit the stone, it, it would die. The farmer sowed seed in weed-infested soil, and it got choked out. And then finally, Jesus talks about the good soil. Seventy-five percent of the seed sown did not bear fruit. It was a failure. We can stop there and let failure win. Or we can focus on the remaining 25% that produced, as Jesus said, 160 or 30 times yield of the seed that was sown. That's tremendous. But it was part of continuing the work of God despite the failures we experience. Failure is part of growth. If Jesus taught that failure is a part of reaching a harvest, then perhaps his disciples would not be so discouraged and if they were considering deserting him, maybe they would stick around and continue in their commitment toward his mission. If you think about it, fishing is hit and miss. Farming is certainly hit and miss. Sales, if you're in sales, it's certainly hit and miss. Advertising and marketing is hit and miss. And we've already heard from Michael Jordan about sports that's hit and miss. Doing the work of evangelism is hit and miss. There are people who are just not going to accept it. Hitting one of three pitches in baseball is a great average. Think about the attempted goals in soccer, lacrosse, hockey, and other sports are successful but how many were attempted or the number of drives in football that you take in order to get a touchdown. Failure is part of achieving our goals and being successful. Listening uh, to a few entrepreneurs, Thomas Edison said, I have not failed, I have just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Regarding the light bulb, electricity, oh, Henry Ford said, failure is, the, is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. Fred Smith, who founded FedEx, said, fear of failure must never be a reason not to try something. And our theologian, Oprah Winfrey, said, there is no such thing as failure. Failure is just life trying to move us in another direction. We will fail. If we're doing work, we will fail. We just have to be relentless and keep going, trusting that God is going to bring the harvest. A few examples of corporations that made big failures. Some of you might remember Satisfries in 2013, Burger King's attempt at a French fry alternative. How'd that go over? Not very satisfying, Or what about Cheetos lip balm? Anybody? (laughs) In 1979, Clairol invented yogurt shampoo. New Coke in 1985, many will say that's the biggest marketing mistake that has ever been made in corporate history. The same guy who started New Coke, by the way, started Diet Coke, which is a huge success. What about Colgate? You know, Colgate makes toothpaste. In 1982, they marketed frozen dinners. How's that for you? Or Harley Davidson perfume in 1994. Some of you remember the Edsel, big automotive failure by Ford, or the DeLorean in 91. And then I've got to speak to your technology people here. Quickster by Netflix, Sony Betamax, the Newton and the Lisa computers by Apple, huge blunders, and Windows Vista in 2007. Last but not least, Google Glass about 10 years ago, where you would have a built-in search engine in your eyeglasses. It did not go well. Companies lost millions and millions of dollars on these failures, yet most all of them are still viable and successful. Consider Netflix, Google, Apple, and Microsoft. Like John Maxwell said, they turned their failures into stepping stones. We cannot ignore failure. Not talking about it can instill a sense of, fear and past mistakes will be repeated. We've got to embrace it to move forward. Fostering a growth mindset where learning from failure is a way to contribute to the all overall movement of the organization. We must create a safe environment for failing forward where we learn from our mistakes, evaluate and seek to grow from them not to repeat them. I think this is what Jesus is saying. When he talks about growing or sowing seed, New Testament John Donahue, New Testament scholar John Donahue writes In the parable of the sower, then, Jesus assures his disciples that what God has begun in his ministry, despite apparent failure, will have ultimate success. The second thing we can apply this week is to know our context. It's very clear that Jesus knew farming, and he knew that a lot of seed wouldn't take. He knew there would be birds that would peck up part of it. He knew that there would be rocky soil. He knew there would be weed-infested soil. He knew there would be good soil. And he's saying, so anyway. Know your context. Know what the struggles are. Know what people are dealing with. Know what the world is throwing at people that keeps them from uh, growth. Uh, Study your context. Know your people, and so anyway, God will bring the growth. God will bring the harvest. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. After he washed the disciples' feet, Jesus said, your, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And as the songwriter says, they'll know we are Christians. What? By our love. Third, a reminder to have a mindset of persistence. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not get up. He's talking about the, the law of sowing and reaping when we sow seed, there will always be a harvest, and it will always be later and greater. I believe this is the mindset of persistence that Jesus is trying to cultivate into the life of his disciples. And fourth and finally, he wants us to remember always that God brings the growth. I can stand here and preach my heart out. We can offer the most meaningful worship we can send mailings to the community. We can have the best website. We can tell people in line at the store about Jesus. We can, can do things in our community to share the word of God. But God is the one who brings the growth. We are called to sow seed, not to give, to give up. And we must remember that God brings the growth. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3.6. He said to the churches at Corinthians, are you not acting like mere human when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos? Are you not mere human beings? What after is Apollos? And what is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each one his task. But he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has making it grow. Or as Tim Keller says, we bring the firewood and God brings the fire. Church, failure is part of growth. We will not get it all right. We just got to learn from our mistakes, evaluate, not repeat them, and grow through them. May we listen to Jesus who transforms our failures into stepping stones to advance the kingdom of God in Air in Chesterfield County, Metropolitan Richmond, and to the ends of the earth. We will fail forward trusting Christ who always goes before us. So let us keep on sowing and watering seeds of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and trust that God will bring the harvest 100 times, 60 times, 30 times, It's worth every effort, every budgeted dollar, every failed program, mistake or failure. Because Jesus said, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you.